we're going to start a new study today. Um, we're going to be looking at the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Now, now really, they're one book. Um, they got split up into two books in the, the Christian Bible, but in the, the Jewish uh, Bible, they're one book, um, just generally called uh, Ezra. Um, but uh, I wanted to look at these, and I wanted to look at them from the the point of view of rebuilding. So we're not going to spend uh, a whole ton of time um in, I mean, obviously, you guys know me. Um, we're gonna do we're gonna do the history stuff. We're gonna do the language stuff. But we wanna we wanna try to to look at these books of, of the scriptures um, from the perspective of what does it look like when God rebuilds something. Um, we know what it looks like when we rebuild something. Um, right now, uh, underneath, I'm I'm in my porch. I'm in our sun porch right now, and beneath our sun porch. Is a storage area, and in that storage area is my one of my lawnmowers, um, who which for the last year and a half I've been saying I was going to rebuild the carburetor. Um, I know how to rebuild a carburetor. It's been 25 years since I've done it. Uh, <laughs> um, but you know, small engines. I worked on farms, so you know. Um, but there's always the terror of rebuilding when when you have to rebuild something that that is not working or not functioning, what does it look like when it's rebuilt? It almost always looks different than what it looked like when it was built in the first place. Um, And so God rebuilding in Ezra and Nehemiah, and then looking at our lives and asking the question, when God rebuilds something, um, what does it look like? How is it different from the original? Um, and and that that pertains to all kinds of things in our lives, our uh, relationships. When we have to rebuild a relationship, what does that look like? Um, when we have to uh, rebuild uh, ourselves financially because of a, a a breakdown or a debt or a lost job or anything like that, what does that look like? Um, and what does it look like when we rebuild uh, a church? And we're 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 at the point now where um, Bedford Road is since the merger. It's been 10 years since the merger. And we've done a lot of rebuilding and sometimes we've rebuilt within the rebuild. Um, so what does that look like to us um, when we're when we're examining um, the rebuilding of our lives? What does that look like? And, and, and what does it what does it uh, feel like, sound like? Um, and so, so we're going to look at Ezra, and we're going to look at that. Um, and uh, along the way, I may ask a couple questions. And so, if I ask the question and you want to answer the question, just you can unmute. You can actually unmute yourself by pressing the space bar if you're on a computer. I don't know if anybody knows that. Um, and it'll just unmute while you're talking, and then when you take your finger off the space bar, it'll stop. Um, but uh, so we want to we want to look at Ezra, and and we're going to start in the book of Ezra. So uh, Ezra. Uh, chapter one, um, and uh, and we're going to. I'm going to give you some background today, and uh, just a couple of thoughts, and then we're going to be exploring this uh, from for probably eight to ten weeks. I'm not exactly sure. We're not going to do like a verse by verse study of the book. Um, I just want to kind of take us through this book and take us through the setting and talk about rebuilding. Um, so let's have a word of prayer. I know Jim just prayed over Lord's table. Let's have a word of prayer over our time in the scriptures, and then we'll begin. Father, as we once again look to your word, um, we look to um, know you better um, in all that you are and how you have revealed yourself to us. Lord, as we look um, to this book, may we, um, may we as your people see what you are doing 
um, in us as you have done in your people over history. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me see, I think, let me see if I can do something. I can't. All right. So um, let's let's just take a look at, at Ezra. And I encourage you to go to the website. I sent the link um, in the chat group if you want to see a handout uh, of some of the background, just to kind of follow around, follow along. Um, and um, I'll, I'll pop it up there again. Uh, well, it's, it's sitting in the chat, but I'm going to throw it in there again. You can go in there and you can download that. Um, and uh, we'll we'll bring it up. We'll print some out for, for next week as well, some, uh, some information. Um, but the book of Ezra opens um, in a... Uh, it opens in around, around 538 BC. Um, so uh, the people of, of, of Judah have been taken captive by the Babylonians. Um, and the Babylonians, and for 70 years, they had been in exile. Um, and then, uh, after 70 years, the Babylonians were overtaken by a group called uh, the Persians. Um, it's what everybody calls them. Um, they called themselves the Achmenid, uh, Achmenid um, after a guy named Achmenes, who was so the founder of their line. Um, but they were from a, a region called Parsha, and so they became known as the Persians. Now, these are today... Um, the Iranians, all right? Iran is was called Persia until the early 20th century. Um, Iran is not um, an Arab country like many of the other countries in the Middle East. Um, the Iranian people are a different ethnic group. They speak different languages, um, and uh, and they and so that is Persia. So if you want to know where Persia is, just look up Iran on a map, and you will see where Persia is. Um, it's way to the east. In fact, the Persian capital is as far from Babylon as Babylon is from Jerusalem. So it is. It's they're they're way off to the east, and um, and they establish uh, a um, a kingdom. And the first thing that they do is they release all the people that the Babylonians had taken captive, um, the exiles that had been um, held by the um, by the, the Babylonians were released to return to their homeland. And so that's where Ezra picks up. And I'm going to pick up the first, um, the first, just Ezra, Ezra chapter one and verse one, and we're just going to move through. Uh, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, uh, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor uh, or each exile, each, uh, each of the remnant, in whatever place he journeys, be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Um, now, <clears throat> uh, 
we have a we have an interesting thing that happens in English, just so you know. Uh, the word the name Cyrus um, does not sound anything like the guy's actual name. His name was Kairush. Um, uh, Cyrus is is a side effect of the fact that we pronounce the letter C as an S, um, but his name starts with a K. Uh, his name is Kairush, um, and he is Shah Parush, which means King of the Persians, um, and he's the first king to rule over Babylon, and he has a policy of sending people back to their homeland to rebuild whatever it is that identifies them. And so he sends the Jews back to Jerusalem to build a temple. Now, if you've been in um, the study, uh, the uh, Bob Bragdon's Bible study is studying Exodus, um, you may notice some similarities. My Bible study did Exodus um, last spring. You may notice a little bit of a diff- a little bit of similarity between the language here and the language in the book of Exodus when the people of Israel leave Egypt. Um, the statement here um, that let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold. If you go back to Exodus, you find that when the people of Israel left Egypt, the Egyptians gave them gold and silver. Um, to to take to take with them to the promised land. So and and this is just one of many places where Ezra basically is a second Exodus. This this journey from Babylon back to Jerusalem is basically a second Exodus. So it is it is going back to the promised land after the the people of Israel have violated the covenant they had with God. And so there's a great deal of similarity. You can actually read Exodus and Ezra and Nehemiah, kind of put them together. You see a lot of, of similar language in there. Um, but there's a, there's a, a couple of things I, I want to just bring up along the way. Um, Ezra and Nehemiah are include, they're, they're basically the first, um, what we would consider history books in the Bible. Now, there are books in the Bible that report history. So I'm not saying that they weren't historical. But Ezra and Nehemiah are the first books that are really written to be histories. Um, they are they include uh, quotes and they include uh, synchronizations with other cultures. There's a there's a lot going on in Ezra and Nehemiah to get you to understand this is this is an event that is connected to the greater world. And one of the things that they do there is that Ezra and Nehemiah have these long quotes from documents from the Persians. And we, we got the first one here. But what's interesting in this quote in verses two through four is that all the other ones are in Aramaic. The Aramaic language is um, the official language of the Babylonian and Persian empires. This is what you wrote all of your decrees and um, uh, you know laws were all written in Assyria, uh, in, a, in Aramaic. All right, which is, uh, it's related to Hebrew, but it's a different language. This particular verse is in Hebrew. It's not in, so chapter one, verses two through four is in Hebrew. It's not in Aramaic. And it's not that Ezra and Nehemiah don't know Aramaic because they, they quote huge passages of Aramaic later on. In fact, they quote a very similar, Ezra quotes a very similar decree in chapter six, and he puts it in Aramaic. He quotes it in Aramaic. So here's a question for you, since we're all up on the screen. Um, why do you think that this might be 
in Hebrew, that Cyrus would have this written in Hebrew rather than written in Aramaic. I know it's church. You're not supposed to answer questions. You're just supposed to sit and listen. All right, because he's talking to the Jewish people. So take it a little bit beyond that. That's a possibility. Yep. Okay. I see. All right, quoting directions for seeing for God, we're getting we're getting real close. All right, accepting the God of Israel. Um, again, getting real close to this. This emphasizes this this quote in Hebrew emphasizes the the high view. Although we wouldn't say that Cyrus necessarily is a worshiper of the God of the Jews of our God, but he has a very high view of their God. Now, why would he have? And this may be for the real scholars amongst us, but why would Cyrus have such a high view of the God of the Jews? exactly right. Uh, if you read the book of Daniel, Cyrus takes Babylon because God tells the Babylonians they're going to fall to Cyrus. In fact, the, the prophecies of Isaiah, which predate this, um, by the prophecies of Isaiah are all the way back in the year 700. Um, Isaiah prophesies Cyrus's rise by name. He, he says that he will be a shepherd of God's people. Um, and the, the Persian kings, which is interesting, the Persian kings referred to themselves as shepherds, which is a, an interesting, interesting way of, uh, interesting phrase. In fact, it's such an amazing prophecy that some uh, Bible scholars refuse to believe that Isaiah actually was prophesying. He had to have written it after Cyrus came to power because there's no way he could have known this. Um, of course, we know if God wants you to know something, he tells you it. It's not that big of a deal. Um, so Cyrus, not only is Daniel um, serving in the, the court of the Babylonians, telling them that Cyrus is going to take to power, but the Jews actually have a very big role in the Persian government itself. And we see that in, in the book of Esther. Um, but the, the Jews have a, a very... Um, a very real presence in the ancient world, um, not just not just because of um, being Jews, but because they were also quite a political power. Um, and I've mentioned this before. They were well known for their military prowess. The Jews served thousands and thousands. I mean, tens of thousands of Jews served in armies that conquered much of the ancient world. Um, the Jews, the Jews were good at two things: writing and fighting, um, and and they and they did both of them very well. And so the ancient world is full of references. If you were going to fight a war, you wanted Jews in your army. And so when Cyrus takes over the Babylonian Empire, he says to the Jews, he says, "You guys go home. You've earned your right to go home and worship your God." 
Now, that's an interesting, his phrasing about the God, about the Lord, that he calls him the God of heaven, is an interesting turn, all right? Um, the, the Persians were not polytheists. They didn't worship the gods of Babylon, the gods of Mesopotamia. Uh, the Persians follow a religion called Zoroastrianism. Um, Zoroastrianism is a dualist religion. There's a good god, Ahura Mazda, and there's a bad god. And they're constantly engaged in, in conflict. And there's always balance in the world. Now, it didn't become the official religion of the Persians till a little bit after Cyrus. But it was a very present religion. In fact, there are a couple of very important Zoroastrians in the Bible, in the New Testament. Anyone know who, who I might be talking about? Greg knows. Magi, yeah, Magi is a Persian word for the priests of the Zoroastrians. All right, Magus is the title for a priest of the Zoroastrians, um, and so so that 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 term and it, they are called Magi in the New Testament. That word now, whether they were, I mean, you're talking 500 years later. So what exactly their role was at that point, we're not entirely sure. But that's that's where that term comes from. Um, so Cyrus wants to restore the Jews. He wants to give them back their temple in Jerusalem. Um, now, there's a lot going on there. There is actually a Jewish temple in the ancient world at this time. Um, there's a second temple that was built in Egypt at a place called Elephantine. And it was, it was considered heretical by most Jews, the Jews living in Babylon. Um, but it, it did exist. And so the fact that Cyrus says to them, you go to Jerusalem and you build a house for your God. He is encouraging them um, to, uh, to reestablish the right way of worshiping the God of the Jews. And he's encouraging them to do it in Jerusalem in a different way than they had done it before. Although the Although the, the Israelites worshipped who we call the one true God, they, had a, they still had a lot of, prior to being captured by the Babylonians, they had a lot of the ancient way of viewing things in their mind. And the, in the ancient Canaanite world, gods were tied to locations. So, so um, in fact, there's a passage, I mentioned it when we were doing Elijah and Elisha, there's a passage where Ahab is going to have a war, fight a war, and the opponents say, well, let's get them down into the plains because their God is a God of the mountains. And so, and they, there's this mentality that a God belongs to a geographical area. Well, here are a group of people ripped out of their geographical area, and yet their God continues to bless them in exile. Daniel and, and all of the things that are going on in the exile so Cyrus recognizes that this God transcends the place. So he sends them back to honor God in the place. But when they go back, they go back with a different attitude of their God. That, that this is not about us controlling Jerusalem so that we can say, this is where our God lives. 
This is where we are most powerful, but rather our God is powerful everywhere, and this is where he's called us to worship him. So there's a shift taking place in the Jewish thinking about their God. It is getting much, much bigger than it was before. Now, um, I'm going to read a little bit more, um, and then I'm going to kind of get the big idea, and we'll we'll get in. Verse 5. Then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred up, stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And all who were about them aided them with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, with costly wares, besides all that was freely offered. And then Cyrus the king also brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the house of his gods. Cyrus, king of Persia, brought these out in charge of Mithridath, the treasurer, who counted them out to Sheshbazzar, the prince of Judah. And this was the number of them, 30 basins of gold, 1,000 basins of silver, 29 censers, 30 bowls of gold, 410 bowls of silver, 1,000 other vessels, all the vessels of silver of gold and silver were 5,400. And all these did Sheshbazar bring up when the exiles were brought up from Babylonia to Jerusalem. Um, <clears throat> there's a couple of interesting things about this second exodus that's taking place. So yes, the people give them gold and silver, but it's not out of fear like it was in Exodus. Now it's out of blessing. The people of Israel have earned a reputation. The Jews have earned a reputation that they are worthy. They're, they're, they're trustworthy. This is the crazy thing. Because the reason that eventually the reason that Jerusalem will be fortified under Nehemiah, and that's later in the book, is because the Jews have demonstrated that they are faithful servants to the Persians. Now, if you look at the history of Israel prior to this, that was not their M.O., uh, they were troublemakers. They were constantly issues. People were always having to come in and conquer them. Now they're being sent to basically secure the southern border of the Persian Empire. Um, and, and they're being trusted. Their God is being trusted to do this. This is a, this is a big deal in the ancient world. Um, and, and so they go back to be restored, but they are changed. So... A couple of things that have changed. I've already mentioned one, all right, that they recognize their God is bigger than just Jerusalem and Judah now. So they're a different perspective. There's a second thing that changes. They're no longer obsessed with a king. Do you see a king anywhere? A Daniel, a David king? Who, who are the leaders in this situation? It's the heads of the tribes. Of Judah and Benjamin, it's it's the the it's not kings, but rather it's just representatives. Um, head, Rosh in Hebrew, uh, prince, Sar. They're 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 authorities, but they're not they're not kings. There's no Moses character. All right, Moses is kind of a proto king, a single guy who dominates the whole situation, and everybody is bent to his will. That's not what happens here. Instead the people of their free will. So their God is not married to one place, but their obedience to that God is not married to a state. 
it's no longer about, well, this is the God of David, so we have to worship the God of David. God has become the God of the houses of Israel. He's truly become their God, um, as opposed to back in the day when it was kind of like, yeah, 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 we got to worship this God because he's the God of our country. So, so they have this change, this transformation. And it is extraordinary to me, and this is kind of the big idea here, that God deepens the people's relationship with him by their trial. It is their exile that deepens their relationship with God. As long as they were in the promised land, they didn't have the depth of faith that was necessary to live as God's people in that this day. They had to be broken to be rebuilt. And when they were rebuilt, when they were reborn, they are stronger, their relationship with God is deeper, and certainly we'll find later, their commitment to God's written word is much stronger. All right, they, Whereas before, they've got all kinds of stuff going on. We, we really see the beginnings of a real faith in the written word of God. Um, and it is only afterwards that we're going to find out um, and we'll get to him next week. But we'll, it's only afterwards that we find out that Cyrus actually does appoint a descendant of David to be the governor of this this work, this region, this province. Um, there's no mention of that here. We only find out later that he's there, but he's almost secondary to the people's relationship with God. Um, it's no longer about... It's no longer about, we have a king, he was appointed by God, we have to worship the God of that king. And and if you look back over Israelite history, that's what happens. When Ahab goes after Baal, who does everybody go off and worship? Baal. When 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 there's a, a God, a king who is faithful, Hezekiah, Uzziah, uh, you know, um, who does everybody go worship? They go worship the God who that king is worshiping. Now that's no longer the case. So there's a decentralization of the authority of God over all of these people, which is an extraordinary thing. Um, there's a third thing. So, so um, they have decentralized, so God is everywhere. They just worship him at one place. There's, they're not worshiping because one person is telling them to. They're worshiping because they are truly devoted to God. And the third thing, and this is going to be a prevalent theme throughout Ezekiel, the past glory, or, or the the work of God in these people will not be as big as past glory. It won't be as, it won't stick out so much. You're not going to have giant clouds descending and God's voice booming and all these things, but it is going to be more consistent. The, the, the light show is over. The, the, the smoke and the fire. The Ark of the Covenant is gone. That means the original tablets of the Ten Commandments are gone. It means the rod of Aaron is gone. All, the temple's been completely destroyed. All of the artifacts that made them God's people are gone. So without all of that, their faith becomes deeper. So the trial, trial teaches them God is bigger. The trial teaches them to have a personal faith but then it also takes their faith much deeper. When God rebuilds, it doesn't look like what was built in the first place, but it's always better. It's always better. 
Um, and so I, I want to encourage you to um, grab the, the, the handout from the, from the website. I'm going to try to do one every week or every other week that adds some context so I'm not wasting your time talking about satrapies and all this stuff. Um, but take some time. Re- Ezekiel to Nehemiah doesn't take long to read. It takes even less time if you just skip over the genealogies because they take up huge sections. Um, but read and, and see how God takes them deeper and how they face these challenges very differently than what they did in the Exodus, in the wilderness, in the time of David. It really is a different Israel that emerges in the in the, the post-exile. Um, and in some ways, it is more God's people without a king than they were God's people with a king so that they can be prepared for the coming of the king, all right, for Jesus to come. So uh, that's all I have for today. I don't, there's not a whole big, <laughs> you know, um, I just want to, I wanted to, to really start the study. I think it's, I think it's, it's really a valuable study for us to understand uh, these books. So uh, I, let's, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we know that um, you are always doing new things um, in us. And sometimes the new things that you create, um, it is different and sometimes more difficult, and yet at the same time so much more valuable, so much true, so much truer. Um, as we strip away sometimes our misconceptions and our and our ideas, and instead you bring us um, into a deeper relationship with you, uh, even after exile and brokenness. Um, Lord, may we uh, be able to gather again in person next week. Lord, may those um, who have had the the positive tests um, have no struggles, um, recover quickly. Uh, Lord, keep us, continue to keep us safe. Um, continue to keep us vigilant. Uh, we pray that we, as your people, we might uh, honor your name uh, in the world uh, this week. In Jesus' name, amen.